So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 1. And this is such a cool book because it's a great reminder of the things that Jesus has done. Just like we talked about for communion, the reminder and the remembrance of the things that Jesus has done, the book of Colossians is also a remembrance and a reminder of the things that Jesus has done. And so, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, we know, is the author of this uh, letter, and it's written from a Roman jail cell, uh, probably around 60 to 62 A.D., somewhere in that range. Uh, and he's an apostle, which means to be one sent out of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy was with him. Timothy, our brother. And we've uh, covered here before who Timothy is, uh, but Timothy was with Paul, and he's likely uh, the scribe of this letter, and so it's written to the saints, or to the believers in Jesus, who, and the faithful brethren who are in Christ in Colossae, and so where is Colossae? Well, Colossae is in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey. It's uh, roughly 100 miles east of Ephesus. Uh, and so just so if, you, if you're trying to get a bearing in your mind as to where this would be. The Apostle Paul did not found this church in Colossae. This was founded by uh, someone else, likely a church plant, if you will, from one of the churches that Paul founded in Ephesus. Um, the pastor of this church in Colossae is a guy named Epaphras. We'll first come in contact with his name in verse 7. Um, and then later on in the book, it talks more about Epaphras. But so cool that Paul's writing a letter to a church that he didn't start, right? And so he has a care and a concern for this church, as we'll read. And there were some problems going on in Colossae, and that's what Paul's ultimately going to address with this letter. And you think, well, why would the Apostle Paul address problems in a church that he didn't start? And I want you to think of it like this. I think, what, how long has this church been here? About eight years, nine years, something like that? Nine years? Okay. So Pastor Chris came from Calvary Chapel, Joshua Springs. His pastor there was Lydia's dad, Gerald. Right? And Gerald sent out Chris. And that church in Joshua Springs has been praying for this church. Pastor Gerald was the sending pastor that sent out Pastor Chris to plant this church. And so there is a, a reason that he would have interest and care about the people that are here. I've sat here on a Sunday morning when Pastor Gerald was here and there was somebody else that came from Joshua Springs and gave an update about something and what were the words that came from their mouth something to the effect of we love you guys 
We are so blessed to see what the Lord is doing here, how you guys have grown. I can't believe that God put you in a place right on Main Street in Tooele, one of the, the least uh, uh, yeah, least non-LDS places in Utah, right? And yet God put you right here on Main Street, and we have this heart and this love for you. But that's the, that's the idea of Paul's heart behind this letter. He's sort of, I believe, ascending pastor to send out perhaps Epaphras to go plant this church in Colossae, but he has a genuine care for them and about the work that's going on in Colossae. And so he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know, you've heard this before, but if you don't have grace in your life, you don't have peace in your life. And you've you've heard the saying, perhaps, know Jesus, N-O, Jesus, no, N-O, peace. But if you have K-N-O-W, know Jesus, then you K-N-O-W, peace. And so he goes on to say, Paul addressing the church in this letter as he continues his greeting. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth as you also learned from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So as Paul continues his greeting, uh, he gets into this thanksgiving. What does he say? We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. Again, he's got that pastoral heart. He's got a heart that loves these people. He's praying for them always. And And just when you hear things like praying for them always, you hear the term pray without ceasing in the Bible. And I, I think we, we sometimes have the idea that, man, what is my, am I just failing as a Christian because I'm not praying all the time or I'm not praying for the saints at Twilla Springs always? Like, that's not, the idea is not that he was constantly, nonstop praying for them, but that when he prayed, they were in his heart and his mind to bring them before the Lord. And so I think the same is true. When you pray, when I pray, do I pray for my church? Do I pray for my pastor? Do I pray for uh, other churches maybe that I've been a part of and left, right? God's work is still going. I, I came from Houston before I moved here, and I'm still praying for my church in Houston. There's still a work of God going on there, right? And so... But the idea is not that you're constantly, never stopped, always praying, but always having a constant awareness of the presence of God, and that if something pops into your mind, have you ever had it happen where you're, you're dr- going along, maybe driving along, walk, going on a walk, and all of a sudden, some person pops into your mind that you haven't thought of for like 25 years? And you're like, wow, where did that come from? I wonder what you know Johnny from fourth grade's doing. Well, I, I, I just take that as a... As a a prompt from God to pray for Johnny, 
pray for that person. Just You don't have to know what's going on. God does. You say, God, I don't know if you're prompting me to pray for this person, but lift them up before you and just whatever, however God leads you to pray for them. But it's a good way just to, when something comes into your mind, you're at work and you're thinking of, oh, boy, I wonder what Pastor Chris is doing. Well, pray for him right then. Just stop what you're doing and pray for him. And then you can say, I'm always praying for you, right, just like Paul. Since we heard of your faith, he says, in Christ Jesus and your love for the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So he says, since we heard about your faith, Epaphras, again, perhaps Epaphras goes out from Ephesus and he he starts a little Bible study. And people begin to come, and word gets back to Paul that, hey, there is people in this little church in Colossae that are getting saved by faith in Jesus. And they have a love for the saints. I mean, you just wouldn't believe how their hearts are on fire for Jesus and how much they love people. And it's because they have a hope that they're going to heaven. Is that how we feel today? Do do we have a faith in Jesus? And, And as I say that, we have to clarify, what is faith in Jesus? Because many people, I'm afraid, unfortunately, put faith in their faith. Or they put faith in something else. That uh, right? We have these Bibles here that are, if you haven't gotten one yet, Chris was pushing these. But you should have started yesterday. Today you'd be on day two, right? But many people will put their faith in the fact that I read my Bible 365 days and therefore I'm okay with Jesus. That doesn't make you okay with Jesus. What Jesus did for you and your belief in what he did for you is what makes you okay with Jesus. It's faith in him and him alone. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works. Lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. And what do you do with the gift? You just had Christmas, right? I gave my, I got three of my kids sitting right here. One's in Texas, right? I gave them all gifts on Christmas, and not one of them did I hear them say, "Oh, Dad, this is such a great gift. Let me earn it by going out and mowing the lawn, or picking up the dog poop, or doing the cat litter box, or let me let me do some dishes because this was such a great gift." That doesn't happen. What do they do? They say thanks, and then they're off to. Wear it, play it, do whatever. That's it. And that's exactly what our salvation is. It's a gift of God by faith in Jesus. You take the gift, you unwrap it, and you enjoy it. Because we have a hope that is in heaven, that is coming. A hope that does not fail, that doesn't fade away. Every single year, I have a hope that my Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl. But since, what, 1996, they've let me down every year. <laughs> they are in the playoffs this year. But, but you understand what I'm saying? That's a fleeting hope. It may happen, it may not. If I have hope in Jesus, I am going to heaven. It is a reality in my life. Okay? And these saints here, Paul is thankful that they have faith, love, and hope, the building blocks of Christianity. Because that's what's laid up for them in heaven. The truth of the gospel, he says, which has come to you as it has also in all the world 
and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Notice he says, it's the gospel which came to them, and it's also gone out into all the world, or all the known world at that time. This was before internet. This was before texting, social media, everything. And the gospel went out into all the world. How did that happen? Yeah. Hearts were on fire for Jesus. And they went out and they shared. Many of them to their own detriment and their own peril. Do you realize that the church spreads like wildfire every time there's persecution? When there's no persecution and we live in apathy and complacency, the church begins to lose its influence. So perhaps the the things that we're dealing with here in this country and the things that we're seeing around the world it's a it's a it's God stirring our hearts to be on fire for him we have no excuse they did this without the internet we have absolutely no excuse as believers why we can't take the gospel with the same fervor that they did and spread it if you guys are familiar with the the ministry of gospel for Asia and they have this this map that they put up and they have this thing called the 1040 window in the 1040 window basically if if you were to think of the equator on a globe and you just put like a like a bar graph all the way around they say that that's the most unreached people groups in the world and now in the gospel for asia's portion it's really it runs through like india and that portion of the world but if you follow that 1040 window all the way around, guess where it goes right through? The good old U.S. of A. And so there's a lot of people who know about God, but they don't know him. There's a lot of sharing that can be done. Don't assume that because you live in the United States that everybody knows who Jesus is. All you have to do is spend a day in a high school and you can figure that out. But they received the grace of God. They heard the grace of God in truth. And then he says, as you have learned from Epaphras, so he's their pastor, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Right? It's required of a steward that he be found faithful. And Epaphras was a faithful minister of Jesus on their behalf. He's a servant on behalf of that church. Not, on his, not for his own benefit, but on their behalf. And who also declared, Epaphras declared to them, to Paul, your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras apparently went to Rome, was visiting Paul in this jail. Uh, he has a love and a concern for this body of believers. And, you know, why did he have a love and concern for this body of believers? Well, there were problems in this church. Epaphras went to Paul in Rome likely to seek counsel uh, over some false teaching that was infiltrating this church. And there were three problems, really, that were infiltrating the church. There was Gnosticism. The word, uh, to be a Gnostic means that you, uh, uh, means knowledge. And to, if you're a Gnostic, you believe in, like, higher education and, and just high knowledge, and you got the secrets 
you know, like circles are round, right? You got all the, the insider secrets, okay? Uh, there was also Judaism happening there where every Paul, everywhere that Paul would go and everywhere a church was planted, they had these guys that were referred to as Judaizers that would come into the church and say, well, it's great that you want to follow Jesus. That, nothing wrong with that. Perfect. But in order to really follow Jesus, you've also got to keep the law. Well, that's not good news. Right? Oh, you're, you're not really a follower of Jesus, men, until you get circumcised. Whoa. I don't want, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents. Okay? I, that's not good news to me. If I just got saved by grace through faith. You mean all my sins can be forgiven? Yes. You mean Jesus is going to, I'm going to go to heaven and be with him? Yes, you are. Awesome. And then someone else comes in and goes, well, yeah, that's, that's true, except for you have to do this, this, and this. That's what the Judaizers were doing. And then there was another problem of asceticism or, or discipline, right? You had to discipline your body. Think of like a monk. I'm going to go live in this one bedroom thing with my bed and my Bible, and I'm never going to talk to the outside world. I'm just going to be disciplined all the time in this. That's the three issues that this church was having. And, and uh, all of these issues, some of them probably well-intentioned, supplant the work of Jesus for a religious system. And they take the follower away from simple faith in Jesus and put it into something else. Right? So when you think about being saved, Jesus equals rest for my soul. Period. Religion equals work plus self-righteousness. That's a problem. Works plus self-righteousness is a problem for me because if I have anything but grace by faith in Jesus, I'm not, getting, I'm not saved. If I'm counting on anything but that, I'm not getting saved. Scholars refer to the problems in, Coloss in Colossae as the Colossian heresy, and whether or not that was three different things that I mentioned separately infiltrating the church, or whether it was sort of like one thing with all of those three mixed in, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's the same thing either way. It's trying to take Jesus and add to it. Simple salvation by grace through faith. You're saved. Anything else, Jesus plus anything, is not salvation. It's not grace plus grunt. It's just grace. And so, as we move on, Paul says, verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. And so Paul moves on. This is his prayer for the, the church there. He says, For this reason, since we heard about your faith, hope, and love, for this reason, 
we also, since the day we heard it, we don't cease to pray for you and ask, number one, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's a great thing to ask for. Is there anything more important than God's will? There's nothing more important in your life than to be right in the middle of God's will and to figure out what that is. How you do that, that's the hard part. I can't tell you what God's will is for your life. Pastor Chris can't tell you what, the, what God's will is for your life. That's between you and God. And when God tells you to do something, go. Right? I, I shared here before a few Wednesdays back that you know, when the Lord was calling us to come here to Utah from, from Houston, I knew that once I told my pastor in Houston that this is what God showed me, that there was no turning back from that. He was going to say, well, let's, you do what God told you to do, and we're going to move forward in helping you get in that direction. So when God tells you to do something, do it. And I can promise you this from experience, it's not always easy. You can be struggling right in the middle of God's will. Perfectly in the middle of God's will for your life. But be obedient because he will see you through. Okay? Remember, he's the good shepherd. And so that you may be filled with his will, knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Number two, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Number three, that you would be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering or, long suffering or fortitude with joy. Number four, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in his light. And then he goes into a little bit of praise here. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. There's a cool song, Marvelous Light. I love that song. Into marvelous light I'm born. You guys can look it up. I don't want to sing it to you. Next time. Uh, but what's so cool about this prayer, and how many of you, I'm sure, don't, you don't need to raise your hand, but I'm sure as we've gone from 2021 into 2022, many of us probably have a New Year's resolution that in, involves probably losing weight. Uh, but then beyond that, there's, there's probably a lot of, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. And sometimes we start off really strong in those areas, but then about the time you hit Leviticus, you fall off of your Bible reading program. And the prayer, sometimes you're like, man, I feel like all I do is just pray for the same thing every day. I don't know, is this even doing anything? Is there any point in this? Well, number one, in your Bible reading program, if you miss a day, don't quit. It's okay. God still loves you. You haven't become less of a Christian because you missed a day or two of your Bible reading plan. If you don't know how to pray, I encourage you to go through the scriptures and find prayers that are in the scriptures and pray those prayers. Go through the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Right? 
in your Bible reading programs, if you want to make it exciting, find Jesus all the way through. Even in the old, even in Leviticus, guess what? Jesus is there. Go search for him. And when you find him, all of a sudden you'll be like, whoa, Leviticus is awesome. It is. When you, when you start to realize that all of those things we're going to talk about in a little bit, all those things point forward to Jesus, and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. So find Jesus, and when you pray, this is a great prayer. So if you want a prayer to start off 2022, you can pray for me, pray for Chris, pray for this church, pray for your 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 brothers and sisters here pray this first start in chapter 9 work your way through like verse 14 and just fill in god i pray that the saints at calvary tuola springs would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding god i pray that they would walk worthy of you lord right you pray, pray that every day if you want just change the names if you need to that's a great prayer. And the more you practice in prayer, the more it becomes natural and God begins to help you to expand those prayers. And if you notice, most biblical prayers, they aren't very long. I'm not saying you shouldn't spend a long time in prayer, but most biblical prayers aren't very long. Look at the prayers of Jesus. They're relatively short. You don't need to pray all the time for like hours on end and feel like, you're not a good Christian. That's something that man has put on people. And so, we got to keep moving. But it says, He, Jesus, verse 13, has delivered us from the power of darkness. He alone has delivered us from the power of darkness. You realize that before you were saved, and if you're not saved here this morning, that you are under the power of darkness. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. But it's Jesus who's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So we've been taken from the kingdom of darkness, and the, the right this side of the room is not the kingdom of darkness, okay? We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, or from the kingdom of darkness. This is where you were before you were saved. There is no other place for you. No amount of good works. You know, people say, oh, look, it's such a sweet, innocent baby. No, that's a little sinner <laughs> who needs to be saved by grace. Right? Think of, think of your kids when they were little in their cribs when they needed milk or they needed their diaper change. What do they do? Right? They, they kick and shake and rattle the bars and they scream. God gave that to them as a mechanism so you know something's wrong. But now there's 30-year-olds who act that way. They never change. They have a fit every time something doesn't go their way. God's taken them from this kingdom of darkness when you get saved. He's just transferred you into the kingdom of light. And that's where we want to be. Because if you're not in the kingdom of light, then you have a problem because the Bible says in John that the judgment of God is already upon you. But it's so simple to get out from that because Jesus has done the work to save you. And so it says, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And this is all picturesque of, again, that old sacrificial system. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it tells you why Jesus is better than the sacrifice of bulls and goats. We don't have all the time to get into all that, but it's through his blood. That Old Testament sacrifice was a temporary covering just to sort of keep you in line until Jesus comes. And then he was the ultimate sacrifice, shed his blood that we can be redeemed and saved. If you redeem something, that means it was in a bad condition. It has to be fixed. And there is no fix for us apart from Jesus. He's redeemed us through his blood. He's forgiven our sins. And it says here in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the, from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So he is the image. The word that's used there in Greek is the word icon. Right? When we think of an icon, you, what, uh, the little swoosh on a shoe is Nike. Right? The, the, the little birdie is, on, is Twitter. Right? Facebook's got the F logo. Right? So those are all icons. They're, rep- they're supposed to be representative of that brand, of that company. Jesus is the express image, the icon of God himself. So if you want to know what God looks like, read the Gospels. Look at Jesus. He is the exact, express, perfect image of God in a form that we can relate to. Human. Look at Jesus and you'll see God. He's the image of of him and he is the firstborn or the preeminence is the word don't think firstborn like in order this is where groups like the jehovah's witnesses uh muslims get things wrong jesus is not born like the firstborn he's preeminent over all of creation by him all things were created so who created all things get that so when you read in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth who was it that created the heavens and the earth jesus by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible so we're talking about spiritual entities as well as the physical realm that we live in whether thrones dominions principalities or powers both in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm jesus created all things notice this through him and what for him so let me ask you a question what were you created for jesus period you were created for him so that might mess up some of your plans for 2022 but you and i were created by jesus for jesus for his purpose for his will so if i'm not like the prayer said 
having the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding, then I'm, I'm probably not fulfilling my purpose. And sometimes we're looking for our purpose in all the wrong things. I, I heard a guy speaking recently who was a former uh, homosexual, lived a homosexual lifestyle. He's now born again Christian. Uh, and he said one of the things that makes it so difficult is that the homosexual community, and you could put this across the board, you can put this to a number of different things, they identify as I am gay rather than I am created in the image of God for his purpose. You are not what you do. You are created in the image of God. So if you identify with the wrong things, then that just skews your whole picture. And you could say it. I, I am, people say this, I am an addict. I am a thief. I am whatever it is. That's not what you are. That's what you've chosen to do. And you may struggle with these things, but you are created in the image of God for his purpose, period. And until you figure that out, you're going to be a mess. You're going to be chasing after every little thing, drinking from all the wells that the world has to offer, never finding satisfaction because it's only found in Jesus. So they were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist or are held together. Scientists, nuclear scientists talk about the atomic glue that holds our universe together. They can't really explain what it is. The Bible does. It's Jesus. He's holding all things together. We don't have a lot of time to go into it today, but if you go and study an atom, like not A-D-A-M, but A-T-O-M, atom, there's, there's a whole bunch of protons all packed together within the nucleus of that atom. That shouldn't be able to happen because they're like charges. Columns Law of Electricity says that like charges repel. It's like if you have a magnet and you take one side of the magnet and it goes and they stick together but if you flip it over then you can't push those magnets together but somehow within the nucleus of the atom all these protons are being held together when they should be going (coughs) that's what nuclear fission did they put a bunch of I think it's neutrons in the middle of, of those protons in order to cause them to do what they should do naturally and you get the nuclear explosion, the atom bomb. It's Jesus that's holding everything together. And if Jesus is holding the whole universe together, you know what else he's holding together? Us. If you're falling apart this morning, look to Jesus. There's nothing else that I can tell you. Look to Jesus. Search the word, read the word, study the word, be in prayer. Look to, look to Jesus. And he is the head of the body. We have to remember that. The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. That's really the main theme of this book is, of Colossians is the preeminence of Jesus in creation, the preeminence of Jesus in the church, and freedom that is found in him. 
And so it says in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And that's not a temporary dwelling that permanently dwells within Jesus. All that God is, is found in Jesus. And by him, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And so, again, Jesus is the head of the church. If we lose sight of that, the church is a mess. That's why Paul's laying this out, because there was problems happening. This church wasn't all bad. They had good things going. They had faith, love, and hope. But they were allowing these teachings to come in because somewhere along the line, they lost sight of the head. They lost sight of Jesus. And when we lose sight of Jesus, we open ourselves up to all kinds of screwball things because we're not keeping our focus on him. The Bible is simple. It's all about Jesus. And it talks about what Jesus did. It talks about what man's problem is. Adam's sin talks about Jesus who came and took the penalty for that sin and made a way for us to go to heaven. And then it talks about our future and our hope in heaven. And it's all surrounding Jesus. And so that God, it pleased the Father that in Him, so everything that God is is found in Jesus, and by Jesus to reconcile or to, to bring things that were separated back home. By Jesus. Whether things in heaven having made peace, things on earth or in heaven, whether having made peace through the blood of his cross. There is nothing else that saves you and reconciles you to God apart from Jesus. And that's, it's, it's repetitive for a reason because Paul's trying to make a point. You got saved by faith and it's Jesus only who saves you. It's Jesus only who reconciles you. It's only about Jesus because they were starting to drift into these other things. And you who were once alienated, notice that, this, this you could put your own name in here, and you, Dave, were once alienated, an enemy in my mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. That's so awesome. And how did he do it? In the body of his flesh through death. Why did he do this? To present you, me, yeah, you, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Whoa. I am not holy and blameless, but in Jesus I am. My life is a mess apart from Jesus. I mess with Jesus sometimes. But apart from Jesus, I have no hope. We're all a mess. We're destined to hell if we're apart from Jesus. And he did it. Why? Because he wanted to present me and you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith and it grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the problem is, is that we get moved away from the truth of the gospel. It's so simple that in our minds we go, it, can it really be that simple? Yes, it can really be that simple. That's what God says. It doesn't mean you have to be a simple-minded Christian. 
you are expected to, as a Christian, grow. And you grow by reading the Bible and praying every day, right? Chris says it all the time. Read your Bible and pray every day. But then he leaves a portion out from the children's ministry song that says, read your Bible, pray every day, and grow, grow, grow. That's how it happens. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't sit next to your Bible and go, dear God, I want to grow. You have to open it and read it and let the Holy Spirit apply it to your life and work in your life. So be grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to you, every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Jesus, this is not talking about his affliction on the cross. This is more speaking about his earthly ministry and the afflictions that he endured in his earthly ministry, which he said would continue in the church. Jesus' work on the cross was enough. It was perfect. It was complete. Nothing else is needed. Okay, Paul is not saying that he's doing something Jesus lacked. He's basically saying, I'm, I'm continuing what Jesus did in the church. Where was he when he wrote this? In jail. Paul suffered many things in his ministry for the sake of the church and his love for the, the people of God. Of which, verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship of, uh, from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, and this is not like Scooby-Doo or who done it, right? This is the mystery in the Bible. It means it's something that was formerly not known or understood that is now known or can be known, which has been hidden from the ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of joy, uh, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Again, apart from Jesus, there's no hope. And Paul's saying this mystery that was, was un, they couldn't understand it, in the Old Testament, we were told that the prophets were writing about things that they couldn't wrap their minds around. But what is the mystery that he's talking about here? Is talking about, number one, that it doesn't just apply to, Gen to Jews, but that it also applies to Gentiles or non-Jews, that they can have the same hope of salvation. It's not just a Jewish thing. Secondly, that, the, that he says here is that it's, verse 27, the mystery, Christ is, in you, that it's not just an outside religious experience that we can have with God, but it's an indwelling where Jesus comes and he takes up residence in your life and he indwells you through the person of the Holy Spirit that we can all have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You guys were better off than all of those Old Testament prophets because number one, they didn't have the whole counsel of God's word, but number two, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God came upon them, they prophesied, and then they weren't indwelt. Us, when we get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life, and now He's always with us. Exactly. 
He's always with us. He never leaves us. He's there to help us understand the word and to give us direction. In verse or chapter 2, he says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So there Paul gives you the evidence that he's never been there. He didn't plant this church. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he says, hey, I want you to know that there's a conflict going on. And he's going to get to the problem now here in a second. There's a problem going on for those of you that are there, even though I haven't seen you, even though we've never met in person. And they would be familiar, I'm sure, with who Paul was, just like you guys are familiar with who Pastor Gerald is. Even if you've never met him, you hear about him, you know who he is. But, and he says, I want your hearts to be encouraged and knit together in love. That's, this morning, I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you guys to be knit together in love. And attaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want wisdom and knowledge, where should you go? Jesus, right? He just said that's where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. It's not in your school books. It's not on CNN. It's not on Fox. It's not on ONN or whatever that channel is. It's not on any of the news stations. It's not in any books you read except for the Bible. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. Now this I say, he's telling him this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith. Then he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So he says, as the way you received Jesus, that's the way you should walk with Jesus. How was that? How did you receive Jesus? In simplicity, by faith, according to grace. Right? It's so easy. Paul says, be rooted and built up in that. Right? Psalm 1 talks about the, the tree that is planted by the rivers of water. That its roots are, are getting in that water and it grows strong and it's likening that to the person who's rooted in God. Stay close to Jesus. Don't drift from that. It's easy to think that there's got to be more to this, that there's so much more to learn. And there is, you can plumb the depths of the Bible for the rest of your life and you'll never know everything about God. But even within Christian circles, there's this, this idea of higher education and, and sort of like knowing the, the, the deeper things. And, oh, you can't really understand the Bible unless you speak Hebrew or Greek. And hogwash. It's simplicity by grace through faith in Jesus. Be rooted and built up in that. And then, because of that, abound in it in thanksgiving. Beware, he says. Why do we have beware signs? As a warning, there's something dangerous up ahead. 
when I was a kid, we used to go camping, and they had these beware signs in Yosemite uh, by some of the waterfalls. If you got too close to the water, they would have these signs that just say beware, and they have a picture of a guy like going down the, going down the, the waterfall. And it's usually in English and Spanish and Vietnamese so that you don't go into that water. It's a warning. This is a warning here that Paul's going to give. Why, lest anyone cheat you or take you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. We want to get away from the tradition of men. The tradition of men is led by the, the world according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Jesus. For he dwell, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete, where? In him, who is the head of all principality and power. Look back at verse 16. He created all principality and power. He's the head over all principalities and powers. In him, you are complete. You're not complete when you find a spouse. You're not complete when you have a baby. You're not complete when you get that job you always wanted. You're not complete when whatever it is, when you get a new car. You're not complete until you're content in Christ. When you find yourself in Jesus and you can be content in Jesus, then you're complete. You know, they always the cutesy little movies. Oh, you're complete now. No, they don't complete you. Be married for more than 30 minutes. You'll figure that out. Spouse is great. Don't get me wrong. Marriage is great. It's of God. But your spouse doesn't complete you. If you're looking for your spouse to complete you, you're going to have a struggling marriage. Look to Jesus to complete you, not your spouse. They're only going to let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Sorry, this wasn't supposed to be a marriage seminar. You're complete in him. Verse 11, in him. You were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Jesus is victorious. On the cross, he did all this, right? In him you are circumcised, and this isn't the Jewish ritual of circumcision. He's talking about the circumcision of your heart. It's a spiritual thing that happens. When you place your trust in Jesus, the circumcision of your heart has taken place. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's a sign to the world of what's already taken place in your heart. When you get saved, it's as if you said, I was nailed to the cross with Jesus. My sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, uh, in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it's Christ living in me. Right? So we've been crucified with Christ. 
that when we receive Jesus, our sin has been taken care of. It's left there. And Jesus dealt with it fully and completely. And then when, you, when you're buried with him in baptism, it's symbolic of you and your old life are going down into the grave. In the, in the church that I grew up in, they used to baptize people. They say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Right? It's symbolic of death, burial, and resurrection. I'm no longer who I was before. Now I'm someone new. I can't blame it on an Irish temper or my Italian temper or my Mexican temper or anything else. I'm a new creation in Christ, buried with, it's all been buried. Struggles are real. We're going to continue to have them, but we want to go forward with Jesus, recognizing that he has done this work. He's made us alive. He's forgiven our sin. He's wiped out everything that was against us, the law, which made us guilty. We can't do what the law says. We needed a Savior. If there was any law, the Apostle Paul says, that could make you right before God, this is it. But we can't do it. That's why we need a Savior. And so he's, for, he's wiped that all out of the way, the, trans, the requirements that were against us. He's nailed it to the cross, and he's defamed the principalities and the powers. That's the wicked principalities and powers in spiritual places. He's, he's, he's defamed them. They're, they're like gumming you to death. Don't let them. He's taken it all out of the way. And he made a spectacle of them. This is talking about the Roman, uh, the Roman victory walk. When the Romans would defeat their enemies, they would walk their enemies in a parade like through town to say, we have defeated them, look at them. He made a public spectacle of them. So then he goes on to say, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Why? Because those things are a shadow of things to come. This was the problem. They were being judged uh, and, and allowing that philosophy and things to come in. They were being judged now. Well, you don't keep this law and you don't keep that ritual and you don't do this. And they were feeling guilty and, and feeling like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe we should have to let some of that back in. No. Paul says, don't do that. Don't let them judge you according to those things. Why? Verse 17. They're just a shadow of things to come but the substance of Christ. You guys remember the commercial back in the 80s from Coca-Cola, you can't beat the real thing? Right? What, the commercial was always about someone cracking open a Coke and they drink the Coke and then they have the little song that, with the Jamaican guy singing, you can't beat the real thing. That, that's, think of, like, not don't think of Jesus like Coke, but think of Jesus like, you can't beat the real thing. The substance is Christ. You can, you, like, the, the religious system is like looking at a poster of Coke on a hot day when you're really thirsty. I really want to drink, but it's just a shadow. I can't take it. I can't drink it. It's not helping me. The substance is Jesus. Love Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. Get to know Jesus. That's the substance of it. It's like my wife coming home, or, or when I come home from work, and my wife begins to like kiss my shadow on the floor. No, I'm standing right here. Kiss me. It sounds silly, but that's what was happening. They're going after the shadow. And it was causing them to, to lose and to leave their first love. Then he says again, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, 
introducing or intruding into the things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And the, the Gnostics of that day would talk about these special visions that they had, which if only, only if you're one of them can you have these, these visions and know the secret insights and things like that. That's what he's referring to. Not holding fast to the head. That's the problem. You need more of Jesus in everything. That's the answer. From whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligament grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, we're going to stop. And that's what we're going to pick up on Wednesday night. So, come back on Wednesday night. You're invited. We're going to have pizza, Bible study. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to not have a closing song today. And so we're going to go ahead and pray. And then remember, if you need prayer, there there's a prayer room in the back. I'll be up front uh, to be happy to talk and pray with any one of you guys. So let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you have made salvation such a simple thing, that it is all about Jesus. He is the one who saves. He is the one that we need to look to. He is the one that has all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the one that is holding everything together, including our lives. And I pray that we would just find ourselves at rest, looking at Jesus, recognizing that we are complete in Him. And I thank you so much for the simplicity of the gospel, that it's not about a bunch of rules and regulations and laws and things that are, are sometimes difficult to, to even comprehend. It's a mystery. We can't understand everything about godliness. There is a, a mystery to it, but you've given us what we need to know. And we're so grateful for you, so grateful for salvation, so grateful for Jesus. And this morning, if if you're here and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you recognize maybe my life is a mess. I, I identify with that. I need to be saved. If that's you, if you're here this morning, you haven't received Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to raise up your hand. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. And the prayer doesn't save you. It's the attitude of your heart. But I want you to leave here this morning complete in Him. If that's you this morning, if you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, raise up your hand. I'll lead you in a prayer. I'd love to do it. Father, we just thank you so much. I trust that we all know you. And we're all saved here this morning. I'm so grateful for that. And pray that you just allow your word to work in our heart for those perhaps that are struggling in various areas of life that are wondering about what the next move is or what should I do next or how is this problem going to work out that they would just look to you this morning and be encouraged that you have all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and that we can be rooted and built up in you. And so would you bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name.